0: Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to Sunday service here at Ananda Village. I am Nayaswami Parvati. This is Nayaswami Pranaba, And we're very happy to have you all here today. I'd like to read now from Rays of the One Light on the topic for this week. Ego, friend or foe. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ begins his Beatitudes with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit in such a way as to merit the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean to be poor-spirited. Rather, it means to see oneself as owning nothing, since all belongs to God. For all is a manifestation of his consciousness. Saint John of the Cross wrote, "If if you would own everything, seek to own nothing that which the ego relinquishes offering it up to soul consciousness is reclaimed forever in cosmic consciousness nothing is ever lost paramhansa yogananda tells the story in autobiography of a yogi of the levitating saint vaduri Mahashai. master said a disciple of this saint once ardently you are wonderful You have renounced riches and comforts to seek God and teach us wisdom. It was well known that Paduri Mahasaya had forsaken great family wealth in his early childhood when single-mindedly he entered the yogic path. You are reversing the case, the saint's face held mild rebuke. I have left a few paltry rupees a few petty pleasures for a cosmic empire of endless bliss. How then have I denied myself anything? I know the joy of sharing the treasure. Is that a sacrifice? The short-sighted worldly folk are verily the real renunciates. They relinquish an unparalleled divine possession for a poor handful Of earthly toys. The Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter states, all things are everywhere by nature wrought in interaction of the qualities. The fool cheated by self thinks, this I did, and that I wrought. But ah, thou strong armed prince, a better lessened mind, knowing the play of visible things within the world of sense and how the qualities must qualify standeth aloof even from his acts thus through holy scripture god has spoken to mankind
1: oh
2: to share with you one of the readings from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity, a book of answered prayers. Divine Mother, I heard thy voice in the speaking fragrance of the rose. I heard thy voice in the lisping whispers of my devotion. I heard thy voice beneath the din of my noisiest thoughts. It was thy love which spoke through the voice of friendship I touch thy tenderness in the softness of the lily. O Divine Mother, break through the dawn and show thy face of light. Break through the sun and show thy face of power. Break through the night and show thy mooned face. Break through my thoughts and show thy face of wisdom. Break through my feelings and show thy face of love. Break through my pride and show thy face of humbleness. Break through my wisdom and show thy face of perfection. As I call to thee in the wilderness of my loneliness, thou didst burst through the dawn to greet me with thy love. Thou didst emerge from the molten door of the sun to invigorate me through the pores of my life. Thou didst tear away the night of ignorance to reveal silver rays of speaking silence. When we were sitting in the vestry before coming in to start the fire ceremony, uh, this humorous story came to me. So I presumed that I should tell it to you. <laughs> it wasn't on my mind prior to that point. But a little bit of humor is always a good thing. If not a lot of humor, it was a good thing. So at this uh, private religious school, the children were in the lunch line. And at the beginning of the line was this large bowl of apples. And there was a sign that said, remember, take only one. God is watching. And then when they got to the end of the line, there was a bowl of cookies. And of the children had written, take more than one. God is watching the apples. <laughs> Indeed, that's what our life is about, um, that we need to just find the openness to feel God's presence everywhere. You know, there's um, a tradition in ancient India with the use of Vedic rituals, mantras, and prayers to garner the, the experience of some desire that one may have in one way or another. And there's a story about a man in those times that was very poor, and he attuned himself to these Vedic rites and rituals and prayed to the goddess Lakshmi, who is the goddess of wealth, to bring him wealth in his own life. And he did this for over 10 years, very faithful, very dedicated with deep devotion, offering himself to Lakshmi to tune into this experience of abundance in outer wealth. And nothing seemingly, and that's the word we should pay attention to, seemingly uh, came to him during this time. But what came to him was the riches of his understanding and experience of the spiritual treasure within. And so he let go of the desire, and he went as a renunciate up into the Himalayas to spend his life completely dedicated to God in that experience. And one day when he was finishing his meditation, when he opened his eyes, was this radiant, dynamic woman who was so bright and shining, it seemed that she was covered in gold. And the man said, who are you and what are you doing here? And she said, I am the goddess Lakshmi that you have been praying for, that you had been praying for for all those years. And now I've come to give you the reward of those prayers, rituals, and mantras with your own wealth. And the man smiled and said, ah, but I have found the true treasure within. I have found the bliss of inner meditation with the Lord. And you have come too late. But then he said, so why did you delay and take all this time before coming to me? And she said, rightfully, because of your dedication, your devotion to me in all those years, rightfully, I should have come and granted this wish. And then she said, but out of my love for you and my concern for your welfare, I didn't isn't that sweet? Because we always have that temptation in life that you know these things that we feel are important to us. I think Anand as a whole, from the beginning, we felt if only we had more funds, we could do so much more for very noble dharmic reasons, but it's always been that we're stretched, that we aren't given the, that experience that we think we should have. We're given the experience that we really need. You know, I was thinking that when Swamiji, when Swami Krinanda wrote the title of this week's reading from Rays of the One Light, Ego, Friend or Foe, my sense is that he was playing with us because he, I think, in, in phrasing it that way, wanted us to go beyond the obvious. Because, you know, indeed, the ego is really that part of us that is really, in a sense, unique to human beings. You know, we know that, that God sleeps in the rocks and the minerals, God awakens somewhat in the plant kingdom, awakens more in the various parts of the animal kingdom and is fully awakened in us as human beings. We're engineered for divinity. We have that gift to have that awareness. But that is when we have the ego. That is the the gift that's given to us. And it is indeed, ironically, the ego that spurs us on to seeking the spiritual path. Because the ego, if you think about it, always desires to be more and better. And there's a realization, uh, if nothing else, just from self-esteem, that I can be more and better uh, as I do these things. Now, of course, there is a, a radical point along the way where the ego becomes the full. But that becomes more real to us as we develop spiritually. But all of us really are in a a continuum of moving paths where the ego is that downward spiraling movement towards more suffering. And what we're trying to do, of course, is tread the pathway that opens up towards the ultimate experience of bliss in the divine. You know, in in the book, The Essence of the Bhagavad Gita Explained, which has commentaries from Paramahansa Yogananda, Swami Krinanda wrote that, that the power of delusion primarily lies within our own selves, not outside. Not in all that stuff that pulls on us. That's some effect, but primarily the power of delusion is within our own selves. And then he goes on to say, it is an inner delusion. It is inner delusion that causes us to err in the choices we make with outward activities, how we're influenced. But we also know, Yogananda Master saying, environment is stronger than willpower. So we know there's an influence of delusion that's very, very real to us. It's not. Is something we f- fear from a mindset, it's, it's a reality. It's, it's there. It's, it's pushing and pulling us all the time. That, that ego involvement, that ego attachment, all those things that are there for us. But it's more that if we can come to the center, the heart of who we are, then we can make that change possible to let go of ego consciousness. Swamiji, Swami Krinanda wrote also in Demystifying Patanjali, the book uh, on commentary of the Yoga Sutras, um, based again on, on Yogananda's teachings, said that, uh, that the virities, which are the disturbances, or you could say they're the obstacles, they're the desires, attachments that we have, are not what define us. It is what we assume with them that defines us. It's how we think of them defines us. Not themselves. Not in and of themselves is our definition of who we are. Now that's a, that's a subtle point. You can take this um, for the rest of this week, for the rest of your life to really tune into. It's a very, very important and, and sensitive subtle point that it isn't those obstacles that define who we are. It's thinking that they are our definition of who we are. It comes from that. But that's because we've slipped into the association with ego tendencies. I remember reading something recently um, that I'm pondering. I'm looking at taking it in, where the statement was, if you can shift from tuning into self-esteem into tuning into self-compassion, a lot can happen. And it's an interesting emphasis, isn't it, that We have this tendency from the ego to sometimes be consumed about how we look in others' eyes. Not just physical appearance, but, uh, you know, the way that we act, the way that we do things, the way that we are. And it is one of the most powerful tools of ego consciousness that pulls us away from who we really are. Because, again, we're identifying who we think we are instead of tuning into who we are. And I like the idea of self-compassion because it's not self-involvement. It's not self-indulgence. It's understanding that the care, the nurturing part of the divine is equally applied to ourselves. Again, not, of course, in an ego way, but from the soul's emphasis. You know, when, when we tune into the deeper understanding of the Mahabharata, which is the long epic that the scripture, the Bhagavad Gita comes from, there's important teachings, both subtle and overt, that really are important to pay attention to, but more than pay attention to, to activate, to make real in our lives. And it's interesting that at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, before this battlefield, which of course is a battlefield allegorically within our own selves, with the forces of light and forces of darkness, that the armies are arrayed. So the, the forces of darkness, um, of delusion, led by the warrior, the king, king material desire, Duryodhana. And on the other side, the force of light, led by the Pandava brothers, representing the five chakras and our true soul nature, led by Arjuna. And it's interesting that it's described that Duryodhana, remember his king material desire at the head of the forces of darkness, um, looks across at the arrayed forces uh, of the Pandava brothers. And he sees the various other important warriors that stand alongside the five Pandava brothers, representing light. And it describes it as that fear comes into his being, because he realizes, oh, my, these guys are powerful, you know. I'm a little bit shaken here from this. And what he does, he does a number of things at this point that are significant for us personally to understand things a little bit more clearly applied to us from this allegory. That one, he says that at all cost, he says this to his army, we need to protect Bhishma. Bhishma represents the ego. At all costs, the force of delusion need to preserve Bhishma. Because without him, there's no momentum of delusion to win the battle. And the second thing he, he does, he gets his forces to uh, i can't remember the exact wording but basically make loud noise clamoring with the sounds of of cowbells and strange horn sounds all these things that are the darkening forces in sound opposite of om um. and what do what do the the sides of the pandavas what do they do it's described that the sounds of the inner chakras start to resonate. So the bumblebee, that sound of that omnipresent, joyful opening sound of bees. And then the sound of Krishna's flute of the second chakra. The sound of the sweetness, it's described, of stringed instruments like a harp the sound of the deep gong of the heart chakra. So the um, third chakra is the sound of the stringed instrument. But the heart chakra is the sound of a deep gong, a deep bell. And the throat chakra represents, is there in that deep sound of OM as the sound of wind through the trees, or rumbling thunder, or the roar of the ocean. And so those are the sounds. And then it actually says, um, and above all else there's pranava <laughs> and pranava is the mighty sound of om um. and that is the power that's there in that allegory that as we center ourselves within the the challenges that are very real no longer have their pull. Remember that quote from Swamiji, that it it is in inner delusion that that what is caused there is the the reaction. We err in the reactions to the outward activities because we're not centered. We're not there in that inner experience. And so the ego has great force. Now, the other fascinating part about the allegory of the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita is Bhishma, is that Bhishma is described in these great scriptures as being the grand sire of both sides. The force of darkness and the forces of light. And at times it's described that he rules the kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is us. It's an allegory. The outward story is an allegory of the inner experience and the inner life, that that inner battle, and that inner kingdom is what's being referred to here. So Bhishma, the ego, has ruled us many times. And then it has this little note that says, and he is often ruled benignly and has been well-respected by all." Huh? But that's true for a lot of people, that they're not cognizing that the ego is really the challenge, because they're awakening to even having their ego being healthy. And Master Yogananda said that to grow on the spiritual path, you have to first have a healthy ego. Because then you can take the power, the energy in the ego and transform it. Because Bhishma, in this allegory, as this powerful force or the force of darkness, is given the boon that he will not die until he chooses to die. And what that means for us is that we can't pummel the ego to overcome it. The way is the way of the yogi. That we open up to increasing magnetism from our center and let that expand through all of who we are. And uh, then we can draw the energy from the ego. We can be in that transformative experience that robs the ego of its power. Not only robs the ego of its power, but that power, that energy, enlivens even more so the soul's call to come home to God. So we have this gift before us to focus from all the teachings we have to go deeper and deeper within. And then to let that bring true in every detail of our lives. There, can no be, there cannot be a separation from the Divine and any part of our lives. But each day, each meditation, each thought, if we can orient always, Lord, I am Thine, I am Thine, Be Thou Mine, Be Thou Mine, then we will ultimately feel the bliss of the Divine in our lives. Let's take a moment to meditate.
1: Death, life and death are one.